0: This is a podcast about the hardcore community,
1: made by and for those who live authentic lives and embrace hard truths.
0: We archive the stories of the bands and people who make this lifestyle possible. I'm Josh Lyon. And I'm Greg Benoit. And this is the Hardcore Archive Podcast.
1: All right. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the podcast. This is probably one of the cooler interviews that we're going to get to do and one that I've been really excited about. And I anticipate a lot of people will be tuning in to check out who might not otherwise tune into the Enterprise Hardcore podcast. Uh, today, we have a hardcore punk legend uh, from <laughs> Western New York, but also from around the country, uh, Belvy from the Catatonix. Um Welcome, Belvy. Hi, Greg. Hi, Michael. Good to be here. And so joining me today um, is as a co-host is Michael Hanch, who some of you may recognize from episode 54 of the podcast. If you haven't checked that episode out, uh, feel free to go back and listen to it. Michael does a really fascinating deep dive into the origins of hardcore in Rochester in the 80s in a way that we're hoping to get to with Bellevue um, in the Syracuse hardcore scene in the 80s. Uh, so check that episode out. Uh, Michael, hello. Hello.
0: It's uh, pretty awesome to be here talking with Belvy. uh those of you i know i'm skipping way ahead here but if you've never if you're listening to this podcast and you've never heard the hunted down record you really got to go chase down the southern lord reissue of that that was a pretty influential record on the western new york scene in the 80s so let's go
1: all right so <laughs> I'll, I'll jump in right now um you know, I, I first came, became aware of the Catatonics kind of through legend. Um, and then when the Southern Lord reissue came out, um, I had an opportunity to kind of really uh, listen to the sound in full. Um, and one of the things that, that I, I like to do um, in my spare time, I archive old show flyers from Rochester and, and share them on Instagram. And I also have an archive of old demo tapes, seven inches and CDs that are out of print from Rochester hardcore bands. Um, so I'm very fascinated in kind of the origins and the beginnings of hardcore punk in this in this region because it's played such an important part in my life and my development as a person. Um, and I want to kind of get right in and, and just hear like, how did this band get going, and what was it like to start a hardcore band without having a, a scene that was already there pre-existing to support you? Yeah, right. So you know, um,
2: I'm you know born and raised in New York City. My parents were kind of like these weird bohemian types. My mom was an artist. My father was a musician. Um, We kind of like, you know, we're growing up on the Lower East Side. We're surrounded by, you know, weird artists. Like the hardcore scene's not really happening yet, but the punk scene is. And then all of a sudden, they move us upstate. You know, it's like, you know, just outside of Syracuse, and then Syracuse, and it was just kind of like. You know, it really kind of blew our minds because we were, yeah, you know, we were around all these like progressive people and whatever and music. And, and then we're just all of a sudden, it's like rednecks and friggin' hillbillies and people just making fun of how we talk. And, you know, and, and, you know, and they started listening. You know, I, I, I was already listening to punk. I was already really into like Clash and the Pistols. And this is like as a as a like 10 or 11 year old. So I'm already like playing headphones to all the clash records like especially Give them Enough Rope like Blondie to the beat blah, blah, blah. and then you know around I guess it would have been probably 80 81 you know we start hearing and again I'm like I'm a freaking sophomore junior in high school at this point and we start hearing h- hardcore from the west coast and it's and it's like fast and it's harder faster than any music we'd ever heard and we liked it cuz probably cuz we were like pissed off teenagers we didn't like being in a small town we didn't like the fact that all these bands would never play there um, so we were just like fuck it let's do it ourselves um you know and we were you know when, when the catatonics formed in like it's like the winter of 81 or the, the uh, yeah probably uh, and we were, we were, you know, we're high school kids, you know, we're getting, <laughs> we're getting sent home from, from school because we're wearing like, Dead Kennies, Too Drunk to Fuck shirts, servo jerk, group sex shirts, literally. And we were just like, You're, what? You're actually offended by that? Okay, cool, like, well, let's go home and work you know, play some songs. Um, so it was like, we, you know, I met another transplant kid, um, Joe Miller, who was from Florida. And we were both kind of like in the same boat and we were listening to like, you know, all this early hardcore and we were really into it. And then we, you know, we started writing songs and they just got, you know, faster and heavier. Um, And then we gradually got, you know, we found Farmer who was also in our school. Um, He, he was playing bass, but then he switched over to second guitar. And then we got Jeff who played, who wound up playing bass. Um, And so we're, you know we're playing around Syracuse, you know, a lot in '82. Um, you know we're playing Albany once in a while. Buffalo. I don't think we got to '83. We did play in Rochester, and, and the Flyers on the, in the in the booklet in the catatonics thing. We did play in Rochester with suicidal tendencies, and it was right when institutionalized was was breaking on MTV. So usually our shows, you know, we're doing these all age shows in Syracuse. You know, if we get if we get 50 people out, we're like, wow, this is a great show. We, we can actually pay the, pay for the PA, pay the bands a couple dollars. Awesome. We show up at, in Rochester and it's like 500 people. We were like, what the hell? We like now that that's obviously nothing, but at the time um, we were like, that was by far the big that was the biggest show that Cat Times ever played. Period um we played Rochester a couple other times I um I think it was like this bar called Shotzi's I'm sure it's not even there is it still there
0: well it changed names I've, I've played there before too when it changed the same to Richmond's okay. but one of my bandmates was at that show at at, at Shotzi's and- right so there's a lot live track on
2: on the, on the reissue from there he
0: wanted to – he asked if you remembered that show and what happened with the owner.
2: I, Matt, we had a lot of – I don't – I kind of – I don't know. We had a lot of – we had a lot of shows and a lot of – because, again, there there wasn't really scenes in upstate yet. So we would – you know, if we, even the shows we did play, there are fights, there are Nazis, there are freaking cops. You know, if, if we play a bar, Jesus, forget about it. You know, we're almost always going to get kicked out. We're almost always going to, you know, keep, keep, you know, run to the van and freaking get back with people chasing us with bats and shit. But what did he say happened? I want mean, to just tell us
0: the people started slam dancing. Said so the uh-huh. ever- the owner flipped out and pulled yeah. a gun. Uh, pulled yeah. a gun and wanted yeah. people to stop playing.
2: That yeah, that happened at a biker bar we played in Syracuse too. Where it's like the guy pulled out a freaking shotgun and we were just like, it was just like literally maybe four or five of our friends who would just come to this, come to our shows and just jump you know slam around and it was like it's it's hysterical now when you look at it in hindsight. But um, yeah, I mean it was we were. I, Again, in hindsight, it's 2020. But you know, at that time, it was it was freaking dangerous to do what we were doing. It wasn't you know, it wasn't You know, MTV you know exists, but it's you know not really playing any hardcore. But you know, in New York, you know, because we're you know we're reading about what's going on in LA and New York and DC and Boston through Max Rock and Roll Flipside, and we're just. We're just, we're just bummed out. We're like, fuck, GBH played that 8,000 people. There's 8,000 punks in the world. We're just like, what the hell? And, and then you, then you realize where you are and you're playing and you walk in with spiked hair, you know, you know, uh, leather jackets and, you know, whatever. And people were like, you know, people, we, we would get, we would get, you know, people would just pull up behind us, if we were walking on the street, jump out of pickup trucks and just start fighting. I mean, that was like really, it was like happened all the time. You know, we're not, we're not like college kids or 20 year olds here. We're like fucking 15, 16. And we're like, what the, you know, these big burly dudes are coming at us. And we're just like, you know, it's just, it was, uh, it's an interesting way to grow, grow up. Yeah.
1: So you mentioned Maximum Rock and Roll and Flipside. Is that primarily where you discovered new bands and picked up you know new sounds? Yeah. At, in the beginning, absolutely, because there was
2: one. Because Syracuse is a college town, there was one college record store. Every college town has a cool college record store. So I don't even remember what it was called, but they would have they would get some stuff in, but it was. You know, it was the stuff that had decent distribution. So that would have been like, you know, the first Fear record and all the early alternative technical stuff. You know, the stuff that um, what was the label that Group Sex was on? Um,
0: Is that on Slash? I can't remember.
2: Might no, wasn't on Slash. But but anyway, it would get so they would have those things that, that were distributed well. But that was about it. So then, like, around the same time, I, we discovered mail order stuff. So all of a sudden, we could get, this is Boston, not L.A., we could get, like, Game Greens, the first Game Green sig- signal, and we could get, like, all the stuff we were reading about that, we'll, that these record stores would never, never carry. So that's when we really started discovering, like, really fast, intense bands, like, you know, MVC, um, you know, discharge, you know, Jerry's kids, like SSD, like all this, like next level, like really heavy, intense stuff. And we were like, that's, that's it. That's what we want to do.
1: Yeah, I can, I can tell, um, uh, uh, you can hear like a little bit of the thrash metal influence uh, uh, on the hunted down um, reissue. And what I really like about that is that that's kind of, uh, representative of a of a style of music that Syracuse has carried through, I think, until this day, combining punk and hardcore with metal influences. Um, was yeah, that, like an intentional choice on on your part. I don't think so. Um, it, I think it was more.
2: I mean, personally, I really like when that first Slayer EP and and full length came out. I was blown away, and a lot of a lot of my you know a lot of our, a lot of my friends at the time and even the guys in the band were like why do you listen to this stupid metal stuff the vocals are ridiculous i'm like listen to how fast and heavy it is listen to Lombardo. i'm like this is this is crazy and i also had a i had a sweet spot for like like that like i or like iron maiden and some some Jewish priest stuff cuz it was like it was good it was it was metal but it was also really like catchy songwriting so you know, you hear a little bit of that like that riff and never again, I kinda wrote as like like I'm not like kind of a priest like intro thing. Um but it wasn't intentionally like we just kind of like grabbed what we grabbed. If there was like, you know I mean they yeah, it's not not I don't think there's anything on the record, but you know, we had songs where we would we would put it we would just put in a freaking drop a reggae thing in the middle of a song just because we thought it was like weird. We just kind of did what we want, wanted to, I think. Um, but yeah, obviously I know from later on, obviously, you know, earth crisis starts and that's super, you know, super influential. I know I've known Carl for, for years. Um, he was one of like the, you know, him and, and my friend DJ was a, Tattoo artists um, in Syracuse. They were kind of like the, the early, like the youngest kids at our last bunch of shows, probably. Um, and then it was just, you know, to see, you know, Earth Crisis blow up, you know, on a global way, it was like, wow, you know. And Carl was cool enough to write the little blurb for the, you know, for the reissue and stuff.
1: Yeah, I, know, I noticed that. And that's kind of what got me thinking, like you guys got the ball rolling on, having like a little bit of metal influence, and then they took it to an extreme. It took it it away, away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned Slayer and Dave Lombardo in there in particular, and, and that's kind of, the. St- I'm also a drummer, and that's kind of the style of drumming I like to bring to hardcore when I play. I love, you know, the double bass under stuff. Yeah. Um, and so it, it really is nice to see that, like, that goes back even before Earth Crisis to you guys. And you know we got to give credit where credit is due because that's yeah like a winning combination. You take like punk guitars and put it with like metal drumming, or like yeah. punk drumming and metal guitars, and it, yeah. it always hits the spot for me.
2: Yeah, for sure, for sure.
0: Elvy I want to ask you about your your drumming um, because like there are so many standout things about the the, the Catatonic's record and the playing on it. But like, we're, I want to ask you about your approach to the drums um like some of your influences but also the fact that you sang and, and yeah. played drums you know your drum your drum parts on their own would be hard enough for a person to play but throw in singing with that you know and the catatons are kind of unique because you have what three three people in that band taking a lead vocal part on, on a song
2: you know? yeah but i would you know i probably s- sang Joe and I sang basically pretty much fifty percent of the songs each, and then Jeff probably had two or three. Okay, uh, but it was it was you know almost always you know Joe or me. But yeah, I mean people are like you know I, I listen to that and I'm like I can still play play pretty good, but I don't know how the hell I could ever sing and play like that. I'm just like, what the, how much coffee was I drinking? I was, just like, right. I was just like, man, but yeah, my, I mean, you know, I started, God, I got my first drum when I was four from um, my godmother, who is Debbie Harry, which I guess most people know. Um, and then I got, my parents got me like a small starter kit when I was probably six. And so I would my, I would say my top my top two drumming influences would be it would be Topper from the Clash number one no no nobody no runner up and then probably Clem from Blondie those are my early early super influential things and then I would oh, eventually hear like like early Slayer and Lombardo I hear Motorhead you know, I'd hit with, with Phil, I'd hear the early Jerry's kids, and I would just pick up stuff off, off those guys. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I guess it just developed my, you know, own style. Um, the one thing I didn't like about at, at that point, a lot of the hardcore drum beats were just like Oompa Loompa beats. Yeah. Like, just sped up. And there were, there was no, like, you know, there was, it, they were, there was nothing, like, there, there was no room to, like, put in, like, to experiment and, and be interesting. And I, I, I didn't like that stuff. You know, and I was just like, you know, you can play this really fast stuff, but you can still be creative with it and challenge yourself, you know, playing-wise. Yeah.
0: Because, like, I, I feel that there's, like, the floor, Tom, is pretty dominant in your playing. I think, like, like, a significant, like, I can feel that in there. And, like, that's something you hear in, like, like a Killing Joke. Or something like yeah. that, like bands like that.
2: Yeah, I think I got. I took. I took a lot of that. That's probably like Clem. If you listen yeah. to Blondie stuff, especially Eat to the Beat, it's it's. He's just every song is Tom. He's playing the toms like like a hi hat, um, you know. And then you know, it's a good amount of, of you know, not later Clash, but like for me, my my, my favorite album of all time is Give him Enough Rope. And there's a lot of like Topper does a lot of interesting Tom fills all over the place on that. So I guess I took a lot of that stuff and just like said, okay, I'm going to do all this stuff now. We're going to speed it up like to 10 times as fast and see, see what happens. Uh,
0: um, Greg, I'll, I'll kick it back to you. I, I got a whole bunch of questions here, but I'll kick it back to you.
1: All right. So, um, you know, your, your legacy in Syracuse is pretty well cemented and you, you talk about um, Uh, your show's in Rochester regionally. Um, uh, What was it like trying to connect with people outside of Syracuse to book shows, or book book like a little mini tour or something? What is that? Can you give us kind of a rundown of what that's like early 80s before most cities have their own well-defined separate hardcore scene that's a separate thing from like the punk or the metal or just the rock scene?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, for us, you know, we would... (laughs) You know, I feel like the, the only other city that had kind of a structured scene at that time was Albany. Um, and it wasn't a lot of kids, but there was like, there was a good amount, Im- you know, the shows were good. They were close enough. They were close enough to, to Boston where they could get a DYS to come down and play. Um, they, you know, ha- they had a fanzine. Um, you know, and, but the bands, you know, there were some hardcore bands, but that most of the scenes, including Syracuse, it was just, if you were young and weird, you know, so we would have, you know, there was a band in Albany called, um, the verge who were more kind of like post-punk buzzcocks, but they had no one else to play with. They weren't going to play at a rock show with a bunch of, you know, skinny tie bands. And they weren't going to play with cover, but Grateful Dead cover bands. So you know, we would, you know, in, in, even in Syracuse, there was a band that came up, you know, after we were playing, you know, once we were playing for a couple of years, called B Solution, and they were just like they just had a drum machine and a guy playing guitar screaming. So like anything weird, that was that, you know, we we're like shit. We got we're gonna rent this hall out. We gotta find some bands that don't suck. And so at that time there were there were so few hardcore and punk bands that you kind of like filled it in with whatever. Oh, there's an all-female garage band in Rochester, the the Ronchettes. Cool. Let's but let, they're cool. they're cool. Let's have them play. They're weird. Um, you know, like I said, you know, bands that were kind of like more on the kiln joke side of stuff or you know, tribal punk like you try, you know, and then you get that band who were just learning hardcore and just trying to start. So it was just a really you really took what you, you took what you could get. You know, you're like, okay, these people, they don't sound like we sound, but they don't sound like that. And that is, that sucks. Those people suck. I don't want to be those people. None of us want to be those people. We're all weirdos. We're all freaks. Cool. Let's do it. Let's do a show. Let's do a fancy. Let's start booking bands. And, you know, um, but yeah, a lot of the times we would, you know, like, like, I don't. I remember playing like that, that Scorgy show, and I think we probably played a couple other Rochester shows. Other, you know, and I don't. I remember we brought bands from Syracuse with us because we couldn't find Rochester bands. We were like, we would ask. We we're like, does anybody know anybody? Is there anything like? And there's a kid, there's a somebody on that live track on the record. And I, I, I say something obnoxious, then he goes, Rochester, and I go, I, what did I say? I said, are there any band, cool bands here in Rochester? And then some kid goes, no. And I'm like, no, and the kid yells back, Rochester sucks, and I was like, what? Rochester sucks. So it was always, you know, a lot of times we would just, you know, grab, you know, our friend's band like SFB um, to play with us. You know, there's a few other bands in Buffalo but again, not really hardcore. There was this band called the Fems, and they were like, it was more, it was more post punk, but it was really, really agro. And we were like, those guys, that's cool, you know. That's yeah. like, yeah, um, you know. So, but again, we're, you know, there's a limit to how far we can go. We're still all on high school. We're still all living at home, um, you know. So we're just like, well. Not gonna, you know, not we're we're not gonna be able to go to New York this weekend to see, you know, Black Flag or Suicidal or you know even like you know Scream or you know all these you know um you know all these early the MIA and Youth Brigade and Seven Seconds and Gangrene. So we you know we were just started you know especially me at the time. I would reach out to these people and we would write back and forth and then we'd get our phone numbers and then we would say, okay, you know, I'd I'd get a bunch of numbers from Sean Stern from Youth Brigade and BYO and he was like, okay, these guys, you know, and then we'd figure out who was touring and and then we started putting on, you know, we started putting on a lot of shows. Um, There still weren't a ton of kids into it. Like that, that seven second show in Syracuse probably had like a hundred and maybe might've been like 150 people. And a lot of that was, was kids from Albany and Ithaca, dro- you know, driving up to, to see them, um, you know. But, you know, looking back, like we have, you know, me and uh, the idea for this reissue came up um, probably close to 10 years ago with me and my friend Bobcat, who is in SFB. Who was like a kind of like a punk hardcore band that I also played drums with. So we kind of like put all this stuff together. We put like put these flyers together and a lot of the photos, and we just we just couldn't for whatever reason we could never get our shit together enough to actually be organized and put it out. And you know, and Greg, thank God, had his shit together and really did a great job.
0: going back a bit Belvi, um when you uh what uh when you guys recorded hunted down like did how did you you know that was that record was a big inspiration for uh, us in the rochester scene all the kids like like someone else did this you know mm. they, they put their own thing out uh and that was like you know the ripple effects of, of like uh, other bands from from new york coming to rochester to play um right but I, I like how that record, the, the, the hunted down seven inch come together.
2: I mean, we, we, you know, we've been writing songs and we've been doing demos. Um, we, we, like, we released, I don't know, two or three, like cassette only releases, sent them out to the fanzines. sent them out to the maximum rock and roll and whatever, you know, whatever fanzines we of that existed. And then we were like, and then I felt like, you know, Early on, we were kind of probably a little generic and whatever, and we were just doing stuff to play loud and fast and piss people off. But, you know, about two and a half years in, I i think we got, you know, we started taking it a lot more seriously. And I think everybody took their own part seriously. I took songwriting way more seriously. We got way more focused and intense as a band. And we weren't, you know we you know it was like it's still important to me that the songs are good anybody can play a million miles an hour anybody can play bass guitar anybody can play thrash drums whatever but i still think you need you need hooks and you need good songs so we got to the point where we we're like okay this stuff is sounding pretty good i think we should let's 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 try and make a record no we're you know, gonna put it out ourselves and Yeah, we just recorded, we did everything live, all the music live, and then we would overdub the vocals.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What was it like uh, uh, recording? Like, d- how was like the sound engineer taking you guys? Um, now, like, I'm in a hardcore band. We just went to a studio that basically specializes in hardcore punk sure, metal. Right, right, right. But what was it like showing up at a studio in in the '80s uh, before this sound had really propagated out and people were familiar with this style of music?
2: They had no idea. Like every <laughs> every time we went into a studio, even if it was on our early demos. Like, the engineers were, like, we were, they, they looked at us like we were from another planet. They were, like, they, they never heard this music. They were, like, you know, kind of, like, hippie 70s stoner or whatever dudes, you know, into Steely Dan or Fleetwood Mac. And, you know, we'd come in and we'd just start play, playing our shit. And they were just, like, and so a lot of our early recordings, just, oh, they just sound terrible because... They didn't know how to record us, and the yep. cars sound super like clean and like ridiculous. Like what? Yep. And, and and so we went with, with. By the time we, we did did It down with this guy, the producer engineer Dave Chase, um, we he still he knew he was a little familiar with metal stuff. But had no, really, didn't know anything about punk and hardcore. So we brought, you know, we brought a bunch. Of, we recorded a bunch of cassettes, and we're like, you know, and we were. there's probably like minor, like probably like early Minor Threat, um, you know, probably Circle Jerks, um, and just so like, like it sounds like it probably probably like, probably like first SSD maybe, um, yeah, probably some Boston stuff and some DC, DC stuff, and we're like this this is what this is this is what we're trying to do okay and yeah i think they did an okay job it's still it's so tinny like it's just like because that's not we did not sound like that we were like heavy and hard and it was like there was like a fucking there's a bottom to it it was not like
1: but you know it is what it is you know i'm glad we, we, we got we got it recorded somehow (laughs) That's part of the charm of the era, I think, because you even listen to, like, early Black Flag stuff uh, on on the recording, which you would think would be the definitive version of the song. And then you sometimes will see, like, a decent live recording of the same songs and you get, like, a totally different feel for what the performance must have been like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, Michael, I don't know if you wanted to jump in with a, another any other questions, but I, I'm I'm getting curious, too, because you've mentioned seven seconds a, a number of times. And uh, uh, from from what I've, I've read about the catatonics and, um, you know, researching this interview, but also just the sound, it seems like there's been a lot of crossover. And I'm interested to hear kind of how you came to be playing uh, for seven seconds and kind of what that transition was like.
2: Yeah. So we, you know, we, I, I think at that time I took, we, you know, the times about as far as I could take it, uh, you know, on my shoulders. I mean, I'm doing all, you know, pretty much all the booking I'm, I'm, I'm organizing everything. I'm, you know, get, try you know, keeping it all together. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a fanzine with Bobcat. I'm, tr- I'm trying to book all these shows and stuff, but honestly, at the end of the day, I just want to be out. I just want to tour. I just want to make music. I want to tour. I want to see the world. I want to make records. That's it. That's what I want to do. So, you know, it was, you know, that Kevin calls me on the after like we, we played, we were like main support for them at the Syracuse show. Um, you know, we were, you know, we were way heavier, faster, harder than they were, you um, I remember them watching us kind of with their mouths open, like, what, you know? Um, and I don't know, a few, probably like six months after that, Kevin calls me and says, hey, um, we we need, we need a drummer, we need a drummer. And I was like, yeah? And uh, he goes, you down? I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, yeah, you move out here? And he, he goes, yeah, you can move out to Reno but we have a whole tour booked. Um, And I was like, I'm in. Done. (laughs) And, you know, I think a lot of, you know, and there was, by that point, I mean, I guess the Catatonic were getting enough buzz going on where people kind of knew who we were. There were other bands who were kind of like, going, hey, we need a drum. I got, you know, I got hit up by a lot of like, pretty well-known hardcore bands, I guess. But, and this is, you know, the reason I went with 7 Seconds was I thought of all the hardcore bands in, in the States, I really thought they had the best shot at crossing over and breaking through. Kevin has this great voice, writes these ridiculously poppy hooks, and I was like, "This is this could be like the hardcore Duran Duran." I'm like, "This is this should be this should be huge. This should be like back then. It's like this is this should be Green Day. I mean, it's like it's like that. That's you're thinking as a kid, but you're like, yeah, th- this is my chance. I'm gonna be able to do this and have a career and do, see the world and whatever. And you know, what freaking seventeen year old doesn't want to do that? And so I was like, guys, I'm sorry. You know, I, we you know we had a band meeting, and I'm like. I have to do this. If I don't do this now, i will never. I'm. I'm gonna say what if for the rest of my life. So I'm doing it. So then we like had we put the farewell catatonic show together, and then literally I think a couple of days after that, you know, I'm on a plane. I freaking sent my drums via a freaking Greyhound bus, and and then like I don't know. We, we rehearsed in reno for like maybe a week um i knew most of the songs by heart anyway they were one of my favorite bands at at the time um so i was just you know we just banged it out and then our first our first show is in like long beach with like the circle jerks and descendants and mia and it was like more punks it was like I don't know 4 thousand five thousand kids and I was my head was like blown I'm just playing and I'm like this is awesome this is this is this is all I wanted um, you know and then we did you know and those at the, you know you read about these giant West Coast shows and you you know you read about them on the flip side Max rockwell you saw the pictures but like, when you when you go from like a super small scene to that, and you're just like, and it was wasn't just L- Long Beach and San Diego and L.A., but it was like Seattle and Vancouver. These are all like we're playing big theaters and shows and stuff, and it was just like wow. And this is this is a funny story. So the 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 first Seattle show that I do with Seven Seconds, um, it was at a place that was called Gorilla Gardens, and after the show, this kid comes up, and he goes, you're Belly, you were in, you, I love, he goes, I love that fucking Catatonic 7-inch, dude. It's fucking awesome. He didn't want to talk about 7 sets, didn't want to talk about anything else. He was just, like, going, hold it down, and, like, singing, like, all the songs and stuff. And he was like, and that's Greg Anderson, who is Southern Lord Records. So that is, like, a Whoa. crazy, woo, right? Yeah,
1: the yeah.
2: it's It's just, like, because then, in that, it was the summer of COVID, so I guess that's twenty. Um, and he he DMs our uh, he DMs us on on Facebook, and he says, "Hey, oh no!" He asked my friend Mike Gitter, who's a um, I don't know if you guys know who that is. He used to work right for Thrasher. He does Century Century Media Records now uh we still have kept in contact he he was a huge catatonics fan big supporter um so he he hit me up and said hey this guy wants to get in touch with you cool if i give him your info i'm like yeah sure and so he goes hey i got your i got your info from Gitter. um i'm a massive catatonics fan i have this label called southern lord do you have any of the old recordings and then i said funny enough me and my friend bobcat have been trying to put together this stupid reissue for years now and we can't get our shit together. And he's like, he's like, and he was like, you got the, I'm going, yeah, we got the Hunt It the Down Masters and we got a, and he goes, you have more? I'm like, yeah, it was probably like another, you know, 12 to 14 other songs from demos and live things. And he's like, what? And he, so we, so this started sending stuff digitally back and forth. And then it just became, you know, it became a process. It's, it's also funny because he was like, he was like, I have this little, I have this label called Southern Lord. And, you know, we do reissues, but we also do, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, newer bands. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I know your, your label. And he's like, how? And he goes, I own this, <laughs> I, I have, I own this company called Brooklyn Night Bazaar. And he goes, Oh, he, which is based, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it was basically like a three level nightclub venue market. Weird. Venue in Brooklyn, but that we had an upstairs. It was like a 600-person capacity room. So we had some of his bands, like Jesus Peace, play there. Um, I mean, we also had like like bigger bands, like GDH, Cockney Reject, stuff like that. But I'm like, yeah, I did a bunch. You know, we've had a bunch of your bands play there. He's like, yeah, fuck. He was, he, and he was like, I can't believe you heard of me. I'm like, dude, I can't believe you heard of me. <laughs> it was just, it was like, you know. So again, really, you know, small world, and you know, it's it's funny how things work out
1: well it's, it's yeah. I'm, I'm glad you touched upon seven seconds there because they occupy a really special place uh for me um and because uh, what i mean by that is um you know i know they've had like a few hiatuses in there but more or less they've been like playing hardcore and punk for like 40 years pretty much straight um, yeah and so that's really inspirational for me because yeah. I know there's bands forming today and a couple of them, not all of them, not most of them, but there's a couple of them that might be playing hardcore shows 40 years from now. Um, mm-hmm. Seven Seconds is what tells me that's you know, that that's possible. Yeah. There's only a couple bands that kind of can fit into that category, like maybe Agnostic Front as well, and yeah. a few others that are kind of escaping me. So I'm glad that that kind of came through to you. And I think your intuition was like totally right and, 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 in, and accurate in some ways too that they are kind of like that crossover band that really brings people into hardcore. I can't think mm-hmm. of a better ambassador for... All right.
2: No, I agree with you, and I was... It, it, the fact that it never really... They never really broke, I think, is a crime. Um, you know, you can talk to, like you know, like, like Tim from Rancy. You could talk to, you know, Billy Joe from Green Day. They're, they're all like, we would not exist without Simon Seconds. I've, I've, I've had, I've had conversations with these, with, with those guys. Um, so I was, you know, I, I do think, you know, to see so many other bands, even, and God, I love the Bouncing Souls, love them to death. Great band. They have, they've, you know, done so much better and made so much more money than seven seconds it's just ridiculous you know you can you can name a million bands who all for whatever reason whether it was better management better business smarts whatever just did better and i was oh you know i was always like man this this you know never should have should have happened but did you guys see them on this this last tour with circle jerks and negative approach i was not able to no. so yeah, I, I saw we saw a couple shows. The um, so their intro this is really cool, and Ke- it was really cool for Kevin to do this. The intro every night is the intro of "Still Believe" with the um, the keyboards and the guitar, and me doing my weird "Keep Moon climb thing. So that's that's that that was like you know that's from the inner ear sessions. So that's Ian playing keyboards, I'm drums, and there's no bass; it's just Kevin on guitar. And they play it every night as their intro before this entire tour. So it was kind of cool to kind of still be be there every night in a weird way. You know? Awesome. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Weird. yeah, I was like the first time I was, I was like, "Oh shit, that's me!" Wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was good. it was. It was cool. Yeah.
1: Michael, do you have uh, any any other questions you want to jump in? Otherwise, I guess we can start wrapping things up a little bit. Well. I did want to, we, we chatted about this before we started recording,
0: but uh, where all these circles overlap now was when Seven Seconds played uh, in Rochester in right. 86, I think, mm-hmm. uh, with, with Bellevue on the drums and my first punk rock band, Nuns on Death Row, uh, which formed uh, pretty much in reaction to what we were hearing on the Rochester Institute of Technologies. A punk rock radio show the disorder show which included catatonics. Uh, and that was big motivators for us but uh that show was in the auditorium of the catholic school i went to up. <laughs> we were like we're looking yeah. for, a place for a show so yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so that that was that was just a big inspirational show uh and you know we talk about these ripple effects like you don't know what what are the like the positive consequences of something you do uh mm-hmm. like that that things like you know you you all making that band was sort of had a big influence on other folks in western new york uh whether you know it, like i'm so glad at least you know like over the years like i've had my my beloved hunter down seven inch uh, I would ask other people, uh, be like, have you heard of this band? And they're like, they're like no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, um, and I'm just so glad that Southern Lord is able to bring this music to more people.
2: Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, as far as I can stand, the first pressing uh, already sold out, so he's going to do another bunch, which right is cool. On. Yeah. Um, are you working on any music now? I'm not. I'm so busy with... Um, our company, Brooklyn Bazaar, we, we've we opened two more spots this past summer. Um, you know, there are bars, bar, restaurant, cafe things. Um, sometimes there's, there's a live music component. Uh, but personally, you know, I mean, after 7 Seconds, I, you know, I joined UK Subs for a bit. Um, that was really cool because... The album that I played on um, had Annie McCoy from Hannah Rocks on it, and at that point, I during the you know during the Seven Seconds t- touring, um, you know it was awesome, but it was also you know it was getting to the point where it, I was getting a little disillusioned with the hardcore scene because girls stopped coming to shows. And it's just guys and they're beating the shit out of each other every night. And I'm up on the riser playing. This is awesome. There's thousands of kids here, but there's a fight. Oh, another fight. guys. Yeah, and then you're like, this is, I, I don't want to be a soundtrack to a fucking brawl every night. And also it's like, where are the girls? I want to, I want to hang out with girls. I want to party. I was up. That was never straight edge. I was the only member in seven seconds who wasn't straight edge. Um, so, at that, you know, even during the tour, I'm really, it's, you know, and we all felt it. I was just kind of like getting, I was, I was starting to listen to, you know, bands like, um, like the replacements at that time were still like a, a rock, like a punky rock band. Um, you know, New York Dolls, Hannah Rocks, Johnny Thunders, I was really going in a different direction. Um, and so when I got to do the sub stuff with, you know, Andy from Hanoi, that was really cool for me. And then of course, you know, about a year, year or two later, you know, I co-found Degeneration. And that's kind of like the style that I was more into. Um, and then I did another band. A lot of people don't know this band, uh, Libertine. I actually got moved back to Syracuse for a bit because I had had some issues with uh Drugs <laughs> and kind of moved back to Syracuse for a bit to kind of straighten myself out, get my shit together. Um, and when I and when I was there, I was just like, I might as well just put this, put a, like the a band, the band I always wanted to put together. And I put this band called Libertine together, and I was with Bobcat and whatever. And that was, you know, very. You know, I wanted, you know, I wanted to do a band. I also didn't, I wanted to sing. I wanted, I was like, I'm done, you know, I don't, I'm done drumming. I want to sing. I want to be a front guy. I want to give it a shot. And I want a band. I want to do a band. And it's, you know, and it. it I want it to sound like the professionals and the Clash and, and Gen- Generation X. That's, that's it. And, you know, even though it never, we never really did well in Syracuse, we did a, we did two or three warp tours and like did really well, like, you know nationally but like at that time nobody you know it didn't and that's when that's at that point that's when earth crisis is gone and the, what the heart the syracuse hardcore brand that we know now is really taking shape and we were like we didn't fit at that at all you know um but it worked in a lot of other places you know um but like you know getting on stage like wearing like you know eyeliner and like looking, <laughs> looking like it just it was not cutting that that was not you know cool in that scene um you know and that band actually got a lot of um placements in like movies and commercials and things like that um which i mean knock on wood it's yeah it, we, we were able to make a few dollars there um after that um you know i moved that band kind of fell apart because like two of the members didn't want to do the like the 2001 uh 2001 and 2002 warp tour and we were gonna we we were actually given main stage for like half the northeast shows and i'm like the guys this is it man this is it and they were, but we were just like it was just band politics we couldn't stand each other we'd spent two you know, you spend too, You know, you spend too long in a van with the same guys. Over, and it's like having four or five girlfriends. You know, or wives, or whatever. You, it's nuts. You, you can't. It's real. It's really hard. And that's you know, it's a whole other thing with, with with Kevin being able to keep seven seconds going. It's that I respect because I know how hard it is um, to do. And then anyway, so yeah. So after I moved back to New York, um, and then I put a I put a band together called Madison Strays. It was like post punk like psych furs kind of ban that was like like when Interpol and um yeah 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 as we kind of breaking and we were kind of like a part of that. We had it we had one song that actually charted in the UK but um again then it was just like I just was like segueing into owning bars and clubs and being like becoming like a businessman and <clears throat> getting married and everything and it was just like you know look I did, I got to do most of the stuff I ever wanted to do and you know, played in front of a hundred thousand people, you know, we played a ton of war shows, you know, in front of like 50,000 people. We, we, free we, 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 we supported Motley crew a couple times. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I was like, I was like, I was like, you know, it's cool. I'm not going to be a millionaire, but I'm good with this. You know, I got to do the music I wanted, when I wanted, with who I wanted and i got to see the world a, f- a bunch of times eh, you know i'm good i'm good you know but yeah so you know i'm stoked that, you know the catatonic the, the catatonics thing came out that there's this much interest in it has you know blown me away let alone the other guys um you know um you know it was yeah it was just it's it's great that you know that a little band that you're doing when you're a snotty little high school kid, you know, and you don't think twice about it. All of a sudden, like, you've got these people, like, who, yeah, the, uh, one more story. Um, so with Brooklyn Bazaar, we had fucked up play. Uh, the year they were like the band that's the spin band of the year, right? They were like, David Comes to Life was out. They were blowing up, ripped huge. I was like, wow, this, this stuff is really cool. I really like it. So they were I'm like, and oh, they're playing like they're playing my they're playing my venue. This is awesome. So uh bef- like before the show or whatever, I'm I'm in the office and, and uh uh Jonah and Damian come in and they're like, You're that guy. I, I heard you were in San José and I was like, Yeah, yeah, I was um a long time ago. And they were like, who, wh- who who what other bands? And I was like, oh, I was in D Generation, UK subs, bunch of yeah, whatever, yada yada yada. And they're like, Any other bands? And I'm like, I was in this band, but there's no way you would have heard of it because they're, you know, Toronto band. And they're like, who? And I was like, it was this little band from, um, you know, Syracuse called the catatonics. And they both were. They both went, no, the catatonics, And they started. They both started doing the opening. They singing the opening notes of Never Again. And I was just like, somebody's pranking me. I'm like, I'm like, this is somebody is fucking. Pranking me, and, and but then I, then I was him and I go, like, oh, yeah, Green Violin, uh, the, not Green Violin, the Green Forty Five, and the songs, and hunted down, and I was just like, wow, <laughs> it was just, you know, and I've I've kept in touch with John, yeah, Jonah, and he wrote, you know, he wrote those liner notes, which was really cool too. Um, but yeah, the punk rock and hardcore world is very
1: uh, very small,
2: and yeah,
1: lots of uh, yeah. Well, through the reissue, there's been like a a resurgence, obviously an interest um, just because Southern Lord is such a recognized name. But I know of, you know, I'm 40 and that was kind of my first real introduction to the catatonics um, Mm -hmm. through something other than just kind of word of mouth and legend and scene lore. Um, And I know people in their 20s who've gotten into it and and check it out. And and that style is seems like really in vogue right now, that particular kind of subgenre of hardcore. So. Good. Cool. To live on, And it's, 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 a, it's been a real pleasure to, to interview you and to hear some of these stories. Um, uh, Michael, did you have any other thoughts you wanted? No, it's uh, just really, really cool to hear your story, Bellby. Thank you for sharing that. Cool. Um, thank, you, thank you. Thank you so much. You've been like the coolest interview that we've had um, and that I've been able to be a part of. So it's an honor to hear kind of the early days of, of Hardcore and to get your story out here. Uh, for our listeners who probably weren't around uh, when the catatonics, some of them probably weren't born uh, when, when you were playing shows. So I hope everyone checks it out. It's all good. We brought Michael on in here to kind of bridge the gap between you and I. Um, yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
1: uh, but hey well, you uh, could... Bellby, uh,
0: I, I'm my band is going to be playing in Brooklyn next month, so I'll drop you a line and let you know we're playing at yeah. Union Pool. We're playing at Union Pool. I don't know. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I'll drop you a line. Just Union Pool is like hardcore shows. That's weird. Uh, we're sort of more like post-hardcore. Oh, okay, shows, but okay. I,
1: I, Yeah, but yeah. Don't be modest. Drop your drop your band's name and tell everyone how they can follow you on Instagram.
0: Oh yeah, we're uh, Continuals uh, and we're Continuals DC on Instagram, Bandcamp, uh, just Continuals on Bandcamp. Uh, we have a, a Flexi disc. You can buy it through the, the, Bandcamp or the Discord site is also selling it. Cool.
2: Yeah. And, no, obviously Cataton, um, you know, Catatonix is, the you know, Facebook is Catatonix NY, um, Insta, same thing, Catatonix NY, um, you know, go to Southern Lord. Let's uh, see when they're going to repress it. Um, but yeah, hit, you know, hit us up on Facebook. Um, and yeah, um, and Southern
0: up. Lord is has the digital tracks available for folks. On yep, Bandcamp yeah, yeah, too. So yeah, they can, you know, they deal yeah, they've got all that
2: stuff now. Yep, yep.
1: Fantastic. So go follow uh, catatonics NY and uh, Continuals DC. Um, you can follow my account Rochester Hardcore History on Instagram. Um, and, and uh, you're probably all already following Enterprise Hardcore podcast. Um, thank you, Michael, and thank you, Belvy. This is a phenomenal interview. Awesome. awesome. Um, for more on Michael and the early stages of Rochester Hardcore, Rochester. check out episode 54 of the podcast. Um, it's a nice companion to this. I can tell they're going to pair really well. So thank you both, and uh, thank you to Southern Lord for helping us uh, connect us all together and making this possible. Um, yeah. Sharing these stories and archiving this is really important to... Uh, this thing that has kept me going through tough times and, and yeah. that I've shared with my friends during good times. Um, yeah. So thank you both. Cool. Uh, we'll, we'll catch you again. Each episode, we're featuring a different regional artist. This episode, we're featuring Continuals, Michael's band. You can find this track on their flexi disc, which Michael mentioned earlier in the episode.
0: The Hardcore Archive podcast is Josh Lyons and Greg Benoit with creative support from Rob Antonucci.
1: This podcast is a product of the Rochester Hardcore community theme song provided by Standfast visit
0: hardcore Archive Podcast on Linktree to listen to past episodes.
1: Follow hardcore Archive Podcast and Enterprise Hardcore Podcast on Instagram for updates.
0: If you have an idea for an episode or would like to have your band's music featured during the closing credits, please contact us at hardcore Archive Podcast at gmail.com.